Hello and welcome to the Tech on Toast podcast. My name's Chris Fletcher and I'm your host. Tech on Toast exists to connect hospitality to technology. Search for your best problem-solving tech on our marketplace, listen to both operators and tech experts on our podcast, or just meet up with the brilliant people who are helping innovate the hospitality industry as we enter a new era. Welcome to Tech on Toast. Tech on Toast podcast is brought to you today by Rems Hospitality. Benchmark your restaurant across other venues securely and gain market share. To find out more about Rems, head over to their website, remshospitality.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of the Tech on Toast podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Fletcher, and this week we're very lucky to be joined by Gaurav Malik from Urban Piper, the Vice President of International Expansion. Is that right? Did I get that right, Gaurav? You did, Chris. Thank you very much. Thanks Thanks for having me on. No, it's my pleasure. I'm really nice to see you. Where are you, where are you calling in from today? So I'm based in India, so I'm, I'm calling from, uh, from far away uh, from the UK. Uh, I'm based in India, but I, I do travel quite a bit. As you could probably tell from the title of my role, uh, I have to travel internationally, uh, uh, yes. headquartered out of India, but I end up spending quite a bit of my time on the road, which is a lot of fun. I bet. I bet you get to see lots of interesting things. And t- tell us a little bit about yourself and you know how you've got to this point at Urban Piper and, and also tell us what Urban Piper can do for us. Absolutely. Um, so tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I um, am uh, looking after international markets, international expansion at Urban Piper. I spend a lot of my time working with our teams on the ground in the United Kingdom. Um, this is one of the newer markets Urban Piper has launched. Uh, but to take a step back and tell you a little bit more about what Urban Piper does, we're a software business or a software as a service business that's focused on the hospitality industry, and more specifically on food service providers. Um, our flagship product is called Urban Piper Hub. And what Hub is, is essentially is uh, it's a middleware solution. Uh, middleware, um, just like the name suggests, is basically a middleman. So what we do is we uh, build a layer between all the different demand channels that a food service provider or a restaurant might have. And those could include food delivery marketplaces like Uber Eats or Just Eat or Deliveroo, their own direct-to-consumer website, which could be powered by another app uh, or another platform such as Shopify or Wix or someone else, perhaps even their kiosks that are in their stores and any other channel that helps them fulfill orders. And then take those orders, their menus, and any other information and data they need to run their operations on each of those channels and integrate them with their POS system. So we basically sit in between their POS system and their demand channels, and we try and optimize as many of their workflows as possible so they can operate more efficiently with uh, less cost, less time, but also do so more effectively, which means have the insights, the data, and the right uh, do the right things in terms of operations to finally grow revenue because that's that's why they're in the business. They want to grow revenue and grow their footprint and brand. Yeah, and I think I think at the moment, uh, you know, with all the all the headwinds that everyone's facing with all the cost challenges, growing revenue is absolutely crucial, right? Absolutely, I think growing revenue is crucial. Um, uh, what we also are seeing in the market. This is only true for the UK, but in in general, I think everyone's also looking at ways to uh, improve costs without compromising on the quality of service they're providing to all of their customers, regardless of how those customers are coming to them and, and ordering from them. Yeah, and I suppose as well. I mean, I've just because if you're you're extending your reach, aren't you? Basically, so you're 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 gaining more customers from uh, from from having the same square footage. But is that the right way to describe it? I think that's very elegantly put, and you know, I, that's that's our view and our philosophy as well. That you know, if you have the right tools at your disposal, 
that will allow you to operate a truly omni-channel business, then you can operate on multiple channels. But if you don't have the right tools um, uh, at your disposal, then it's a lot harder to operate on more than one channel or more on multiple channels and do so effectively. So we try and really enable that so that restaurant operators feel comfortable um, and, and you know, feel like it's, it's a good opportunity for them to go on to more channels because at the end of the day, I think what we see is the more channels you use to get to your customers and to take orders from your customers and fulfill those orders, the more successful you're going to be and the more you're going to see revenues grow over time. Yeah, and, I, and what I find really interesting is that delivery is effectively still a relatively new revenue stream. If, you know, I know obviously people might think I'm mad saying that, but for me who's been in the industry 25 years, that it is relatively new in terms of what it's doing, especially from the technology side. And and I think it's one of the one of the you know the bit of feedback you hear or from people who are running these kind of businesses that actually profitability can be quite hard to to find what advice would you give to people who are in a restaurant or a hospitality brand dark kitchen whatever it might be looking to either start their delivery journey or grow it how how can they make more profit i know you mentioned a few bits there that's a fantastic question i think i think to, to speak to the first point delivery is absolutely it is it is a, a new phenomena and a very fast growing phenomena i think what we've seen uh during the pandemic across multiple countries. Urban Viper operates in nine countries today. So that those include India, almost every uh, country in the Middle East, as well as uh, some North African countries, and now the UK and Ireland as well. Um, what we've seen in each of the markets we operate in, uh, as well as some of the other markets that our partners operate in, is that delivery saw, had a leapfrogging moment where consumers took to delivery because they had to, they didn't have any other choice. And this was a way they could still get the food they loved or the drinks they loved or the groceries they needed easily um, at their doorstep when they couldn't get out of their homes. Um, and I think what, what that's done is it's, it's accelerated the need um, for restaurants to continue to operate uh, a few channels that allow them to get their, uh, their orders um, and whatever they make for their consumers over to them and at their doorstep. This could be done through a third party uh, or through their own channels and their own delivery fleet as well. But I think this is a need now that's here to stay because the habit has formed. Yeah. In terms of how to do it profitably, there are obvious, being successful on delivery is hard. The delivery comes with a lot of costs. Um, if you're operating your own direct-to-consumer channel, you have to spend money on marketing to get people on to your website or your app or both. Um, you then need to spend money on servicing those orders, uh, not the least of which is delivering them. You could do th that with a last mile delivery provider or with your own fleet, but either way, it, it is a costly endeavor. Um, and if you're operating on any of the marketplaces, then you are having to pay commissions. And, and those are the commissions those marketplaces leverage to make sure that they can build a sustainable business as well. So it is a costly endeavor and therefore it can be hard to find a profit. However, it is, of course, a necessary endeavor today because consumers are not just looking to order their favorite meals uh, at the restaurant or on the phone. They are, they are looking to have an experience where they can get their favorite food from your restaurant however they'd like to and in as many ways as they'd like to and i guess that's just the age we live yeah i mean so, I, I was writing a, i was writing a blog sorry about omnichannel um the other day for someone yeah. and um i actually had to i, I googled the omnichannel dem definition again because i couldn't you know wanted to make sure i was getting my point across clearly and it's the way that people interact with your brand so obviously they want to have all these different interactions so you quite clearly put there actually that 
table service alone is not enough. I think these days it's changed that people want access to you online, at home, uh, in the restaurant, wherever they might be. But so I think you're right. I think it has the customer has changed and we need to adapt, don't we? Absolutely. I think the customers changed. We, we've seen a few changes happen around the world. I think hybrid work is here to stay in some form or the other. I think many businesses and companies are, are trying to figure out what that means for them. You know, does it mean everyone's back in the office every day of the week or not? But more often than not, what we do see is people are continuing to work from home at least a few days a week. And, and when you are working from home, um, you're going to want to still try and get access to your favorite meal, whether that's breakfast or lunch, maybe a snack around tea or coffee time in the evening. So consumer habits aren't going to change. They aren't going to go back to the way things were. If anything, I think delivery is going to continue to accelerate. And we see this month on month and quarter on quarter where delivery is continuing to accelerate in terms of its growth. Uh, in terms of uh, consumers continuing to gravitate to platforms or websites or apps where they can place orders and get those meals delivered. And therefore, going back to your original question of how to make that a profitable endeavor, I think it, it always comes down to me, uh, it comes down to the details. You know, I've been in operating roles as well uh, my entire career. So I think like an operations person and any operations person usually thinks about the details. You know, what are the small optimizations one can make so that they can do something sustainably? So when it comes to delivery, I think it's very important to make sure that it's easy to manage all of those delivery channels. Um, and it's easy for your staff to manage those delivery channels. Um, from an Urban Piper perspective, we're in the business of trying to build a single solution for restaurants so they can easily manage all of their channels from a single dashboard or directly from their point of sale system, just so that they don't have to look at multiple screens because the more screens you have to look at, um, the more mistakes you're likely to make. I think a few KPIs uh, are important for every single operator that's online um, to track uh, on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. And I think the first is just order acceptance. Are you accepting and are you being able to make the food and prepare the food for every single order you receive on every channel? I think the second is just your online time. Are you online for the time that you've promised your, your end consumers? So if, if my restaurant is supposed to operate from 10 a.m. till midnight, is it always on from 10 a.m. to midnight every single day of the week? Because that's the promise I've made to the end customer. And the third is, once the food is prepared, can I make sure that as close to 100% probability that food is going to reach the end consumer and going to reach the end consumer as quickly as possible? And the few, the things that the restaurant operators can do there, of course, are make sure that they adhere to whatever prep times they've set on their channels. Prep time is nothing but the average time you think it would take for you to prepare a meal. This can vary by dish. Um, but it could also vary by mealtime, or it could be set in stone um, for your restaurant just as an average. It really depends on the platform you're on and how nuanced they are about prep time. I think adhering to prep time as often as possible and making sure the food is prepared within that preparation time will ensure that if there's a delivery person available, they will show up at the restaurant, they will get the food quickly, and they'll be able to deliver it quickly. Because at the end of the day, those are the things restaurant operators can control. So I think these three, to me, are the most important KPIs for any restaurant operator to think about 
Um, if they do well on these KPIs, the output of this will be an increase in profitability because more orders will be fulfilled, more orders will be fulfilled on time, and therefore customers will have a great experience and they're likely to come back to your restaurant. They come back to your restaurant, you get more page views, your ranking goes up on your delivery marketplaces, such as Dusty, Eats, Deliveroo, uh, to name the big three, and the flywheel kicks in where you're constantly getting customers coming back, new customers landing on your page because the ranking for your restaurant location is going up. And because you keep fulfilling those KPIs and improving them, that ranking either stays where it's at if it's already at the top or keeps going up. That's the holy grail, isn't it? That that bit of being able to guarantee, almost guarantee that you're on this, uh, the flywheel, as you called it, where you've got these customers who keep circling back into your business because of uh, the new streams you're creating. And I was going to ask you, actually, because um, you've got an operational background like myself, that with any new revenue stream, anything new in your restaurant, any kind of new function or, or new tech, for instance, um, or delivery itself as a revenue stream causes some operational barriers. It can do managing menus human error, you know, inputting wrong on the till, uh, managing stock. And most of all, as you mentioned before, actually managing quality, because I remember I was at a brand previously where we were really scared or the owners were really scared of putting their product on a bike because they were like, oh, God, what happens if it doesn't get there as good as it would do in the restaurant? So we spent a lot of time on packaging and all that kind of stuff. How does how does Urban Piper address these issues, I suppose? And what kind of results do you see from your current customers when managing all of those issues? Fantastic question. I think I think I think the core of it is that we really exist to help restaurant operators save time and help their staff save time. And then, you know, we, we operate with, with a fundamental principle, which is that if we can give time back to operators, then that time will be used effectively elsewhere. So where, while we can't help with packaging, we, we don't really work on the best packaging solutions. You know, uh, we operate with the fundamental belief that if we can save time on other activities, if we can improve and optimize certain operational workflows, then that time saving back for a restaurant operator that is focused on succeeding is going to go into some activities that they weren't being able to give enough time and energy to earlier. And those, those activities that we think we can actually have a direct impact on are the day-to-day -day management of delivery platforms. So when we talk about day-to-day -day management, it's really about managing orders coming in. So let's imagine a restaurant that has four or five different online channels, including a kiosk, including their own website, and let's say three marketplaces. Uh, in a world where that restaurant and that single brand was operating on all five of these channels, they would have to look at five different screens for the orders coming in. And if they also have dine-in operations happening, then they're also having to manage their dine-in customers at the same time. That can be incredibly hard to do. I mean, if, if you were to just imagine what 6 p.m. on a Friday evening would look like at a, at a popular restaurant like that, it would look pretty chaotic. Um, yes. It would be really difficult, right? And I, and I really empathize with operators that are able to do that effectively because there are operators out there, many, that are just crushing it when it comes to managing all their channels. But man, they have to work really hard, concentrate really hard. And that's going to have an impact somewhere else, right? That's going to have an impact on staff mental health, attrition. It's going to show up somewhere because stress always shows up, right? You, you can only hide stress for so long. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mostly on my face, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was saying, going, so going back to, you know, I think what, you know, the, the core activities, I think the, the first activity is, of course, managing orders. And, and you know, the, the worst thing that can happen in peak times is um, you forget to stock out an item. 
that is no longer available because you ran out of stock. And that's a good problem to have. That means you got so many orders that you ran out of stock, which means you had a little bit more stock, you would be able to fulfill those orders. And that's a problem you can solve tomorrow. But if you run out of stock and you get an order and then realize later that can be a difficult customer experience because the customer then says, well, I ordered something and now they're telling me it's not in stock. We've all been there. I'm sure we've all had one of those orders where we placed an order either directly with a with a restaurant or on one of these marketplaces and just had that feeling when we said, oh man, I wish, I wish I'd known earlier that that wasn't in stock. I would have ordered something else. This is now going to send me on a loop where I have to talk to two, three people to get my order. How we look to solve for that is, is reduce the number of screens you have to look at. Um, you know, we've built capabilities for you uh, when I say you, I mean restaurant operators to just stock out and stock an item seamlessly with one click across all of their brands that that item is on and across all the channels that that item is available on. At the same time, we build features that allow them to also think about when the deliveries might come in the next day. So for example, if I know I'm not going to get um, my cheese in for my pizzas, the next day and there's a delay, I can snooze those items for an indefinite period of time offer a custom date and time. What we try and look at is how are restaurant operators, the ones who are using our platform, what are the problems they're facing? Uh, is there predictability in their supply chain? And if there isn't, can we give them another feature that allows them even more flexibility so they don't have to think about coming back the next day and stocking an item in? That'll just happen automatically based on when they know their stock will be arriving. So that's, that's one small way in which we help with order management. When it comes to menu management, today I think we see a lot of operators get even more experimental. But at the same time, you know, I want to acknowledge that in the macroeconomic environment we're in today, operators are having to relook at pricing often. And, and when you're relooking at pricing often, it means you're having to make menu changes often. Even if they're just changes on prices, um, or other ways to increase your basket size so that it's more sustainable, it's easier for you to operate with rising costs. We want to make menu management, menu updates as seamless as possible. So one of the capabilities we offer at its core is the ability to update your menus with just a few clicks across all your channels, across all your brands, seamlessly. So you don't have to do so one by one, but what that also ensures is that you have exactly the menu you want on each of your channels. For some operators, that means having the same menu on all their channels and not having a difference in terms of items, menu structure, or prices. For others, it means the ability to have small changes in menus across channels based on what they think the preferences of the customers using those channels are. Uh, but either way, we, we want to make that as seamless and easy as possible. Finally, you know, outside of the ability to manage orders seamlessly, make menu updates seamlessly, it's also important to get the right data. So we try and empower restaurants with a single source of data, a single dashboard for all their channels that lets them know how they're doing, not just in terms of sales, but also in terms of some of the core KPIs. You know, are all orders being accepted? Um, did they lose sales because they could have done, they could have stocked out an item, but they didn't. They could have turned off a location, but they didn't. And our endeavor really is to continuously empower them with more data analytics and insights so that they can transform their business slowly but surely uh, to improve those KPI all the time. Yeah, and I think data is really interesting. We talk about it a lot, actually. On, on, I think nearly all the podcasts now we do yes. because we're because all the different SaaS 
you know, SaaS uh, solutions will will gather some form of data. And and I'm interested because Delivery obviously own a lot of the data, and um, so, you know, and, and the other um, third parties will will share some data, I suppose. But how, how do you what what can you tell in terms of customer behavior? How much evidence do you have to to show how customers are behaving in these people's restaurants or in the dark kitchens? And how do you ensure that it's actually actionable? You know, and kind of useful for your customers. Fantastic question. Look, we um, Urban Viper, we are official partners of of Deliveroo, Just Eat, and Uber Eats. And, and we are therefore uh, have official API integrations with them. In some cases, these are global partnerships. Um, we're therefore constrained by regulations that make sure that, that uh, private information is protected, um, but we're also constrained by what's available on API. So a big part of uh, what a big section of our team does is, is work with each of our demand channels uh, on sharing what we think uh, operators would love to see available on those APIs so we can continuously make product improvements. What we can share today is, is a whole set of different data points that allow restaurants to know how many orders they're getting across channels, compare those with any cuts of time or day parts that they see fit, but also dive deeper into some core KPIs. Um, and you know, I'd, I'd love to tell the story of, of Pizza Hut here because we work with Pizza Hut restaurants across the United Kingdom. Um, they've been with us for, for almost, uh, almost nine months now. Um, and Pizza Hut restaurants, I'm not sure how many of the listeners know this, but Pizza Hut has two formats of, of, um, of operations. One is Pizza Hut delivery, which is truly designed for delivery. And then there's Pizza Hut restaurants, and they're really designed for dine-in. When we started working with Pizza Hut restaurants, they came to us and said, look, our biggest problem is we never designed this business to be so heavy on delivery. It's, we're, we're really here to serve dine-in customers. That's the format that we are, we're trying to espouse. But because of the pandemic, delivery shot up, but we still find it difficult to manage all of our channels easily and seamlessly. And we're looking for a solution that will allow us to do that. Um, and they, of course, evaluated a number of different solutions in the market. Um, we're very thankful and grateful to them to date that they went with Urban Piper. What was fascinating was in, in December, we, start, we started a process of, um, on Pizza Hut's request, we started looking at some of the data to see how had things changed for their business? Um, had anything improved? Had something become worse? And we were pleasantly surprised to see drastic improvement in a number of core KPIs. To start with, Pizza Hut was able to reduce their cancellations by 60%. This means orders that they were canceling after accepting them on Uber Eats, Deliver, and Just Eat were reduced by 60% wow. after they went live with Urban Piper. And, and, and that was fascinating to see. It's not unlike what we've seen with certain enterprise clients. We work with big enterprises like KFC, McDonald's, Baskin Robbins, almost every QSR chain you can think of in India and the Middle East. Um, the UK, of course, is a new market for us, and you know, I'm hopeful that we will eventually work with some of the largest brands in the UK too. But it was great to see that we can have that sort of impact on a largely dine-in business in the UK too when they're finding it hard to manage deliveries. And it didn't stop at cancellations. Um, when we looked at their wait times, how long are the couriers waiting for the food? We saw that there was a substantial decrease in those wait times as well. Those wait times were down 
more than 6%, which is substantial, right? That means six, you're basically reducing the time it takes to deliver an order by 6%, which is a good Which then benefits experience. you on the algorithm, right? Because they, your turnaround's quicker, so you... But you get your turnaround. Up. Yeah. Well, if your turnaround's quicker, I think the customer comes back to your page, and the more views you have on your page, the more your ranking goes up. I, I can't speak to the details of these algorithms. Yeah, no, they yeah. are incredibly complicated, but, but as far as we know... You know, the more visits you have on your page, the higher your ranking. That there's a there's a strong causality there, and, and that to ensure that you basically want customers having a good experience because that increases the probability of them coming back. So I wanted to sort of tell that story to sort of show how a little bit of data, but also having you know the right tooling in place that gives your staff some time back, allows you to review the business well. Pizza Hut restaurants, um, the the franchise group we work with, Heartwood Smart. In the UK, they're, they're incredibly diligent about their reviews. You know, they they really do KPI reviews diligently. They're looking at metrics, they're looking at data, making data informed decisions, and it's wonderful to see an operator like that benefit from tooling. Um, but it has as much to do with the tooling as it does with their own internal cadences and their commitment to improve, which which is beautiful to see. And I I think it's it's crucial for for operators who listen in, um, anybody who's investing in any kind of tech whether it's delivery or, you know, whatever, CRM, whatever it might be, uh, they want to see return, right? I mean, because, you know, a lot of them will go into it and they'll hear from their their colleagues or their peers that they use X, Y, and Z in terms of SaaS solutions. But it's really understanding that there is a return. And when you quote those kind of numbers for enterprise, it, it's pretty compelling, right? That if I Because if I was back in my ops director role and my, my colleague told me he was having a 60% reduction, I'd be like, I'd like some of that, please. So yeah, that, that is, they are quite compelling numbers. And and what about ghost kitchens and dark kitchens? I mean, they, in the pandemic, that I've got a friend who runs one with uh, 12 brands just down the road here. Um, and there's still growth in this market. Are you encouraging your customers to kind of get into this with virtual brands or build their own ghost kitchens? And are you guys working with them as well? Absolutely. Again, fascinating question. I think we've seen a proliferation of virtual brands. Um, you know, I think, I think um, the UK especially, because um, this is one of the more mature markets Urban Viper has entered. And, and it's been fascinating to see how many restaurants are organically talking about putting another brand in the kitchen. So I, I think that the awareness has been built uh, to a large extent. Um, we, we do encourage, um, and we work with a number of virtual brand providers um, in the UK and around the world. And, and we always encourage any restaurant operator we're talking to to consider a virtual brand. But at the same time, we're very thoughtful about saying, look, it's not for everyone. Um, there, there are multiple considerations. Do you have enough staff? Um, do you have the capacity? Is your kitchen set up the right way? Do you have enough freezer space? At the end of the day, you know what? We see our role as someone who can recommend um, looking into something, but we don't recommend absolutely doing something because the answer is going to vary depending on the operator. Um, what we then do is just connect them with our partners who provide virtual brands. And, and you know, if, if they take one up, um, the way we've structured our commercials and our pricing, uh, it allows them to add more brands without adding more cost. At the end of the day, you know, we're, not, we're not looking to make more money just because They've got uh, more brands in their kitchen. What, what we want is operators to be successful because if they're successful, then we are successful. I mean, our success is inherently dependent on them building a flourishing business, launching more locations, potentially launching new brands. And then, and then when they do so, if they need Urban Piper's help, bringing Urban Piper along. Oh, that's interesting. So my friend who has 12 brands then, for instance, if he was to have one or 12, it doesn't matter. The cost would be the same to him. Is that right? Or 
So not exactly. The answer is a little more nuanced in the sense that there's a certain <laughs> level. Just before I sign so, him up. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a slight incremental charge. Um, there's a cutoff of brands beyond which we do charge a little bit more. Right. Okay. Fair the reason enough. Yeah. for that additional charge is basically maintaining, um, you know, helping maintain uh, a lot, basically a large number of menus now uh, for right. a specific location. Um, there's a high correlation between having more brands and requiring a little bit more support uh, as well. So um, that's why there's an incremental cost, but that incremental cost is, is very marginal. It's really only built in to make sure it's still a sustainable endeavor for us. We can support that location sustainably. I think, you know, when I look at our install base in the UK today, uh, almost a thousand locations across the UK using Urban Piper Hub, uh, well, I, I, if even if I were to venture guess, I think more than one in five are operating a virtual brand. So right. it has really proliferated, um, and and a lot of the ones that are will will sometimes change which brand they're using as well. They may say, well, you know, I tried this brand for the last two three months, it didn't quite work out. I'm going to try a different brand, different cuisine, maybe even a different provider. That that will happen because this the virtual brand space as well is also really going through that you know that first gestation, that first after, if I can call it that. Uh, in their business model. No, I, I find it fascinating. The, the virtual brand world is fascinating because it gives you the ability to, again, to use this kind of, if you think about the footprint, the square footage footprint you have, you can't, you know, everyone can go and open 20 sites if you don't have investment. It's about using that square footage to maximize everything you can get. And that's when virtual brands come into play where you can have a chicken brand on the back of a Italian brand, wherever it might be, but it just, uh, and people aren't wholly aware of dining in that that's coming out the back door. So I think it's a unique way of uh, generating some more revenue and helps you innovate, right? And it helps you understand what capabilities you have within your four walls anyway. Absolutely. And the philosophy we operate with, Chris, is that um, we're, not, we're not so concerned about whether a restaurant is going to opt for Urban Viper or not. If someone comes to us for advice and we can offer advice or we can connect them with someone else in the industry, whether that's a virtual brand provider, whether that's another someone offering a system we don't do, such as a POS system or something else, we're more than happy to make that connection because I think community is the most important thing in hospitality. And today, more than ever, um, we need to come together and just help each other. Um, you know, so I, that's mean, I, I agree. That's why, that's why I exist. Um, but yeah, but exactly. I think that's why that's why I built the marketplace because from an operational background, I always wondered without actually going direct to a tech supplier and saying, I want this. I wanted to have a bit of a discovery process where I could find out without having to speak to my peers, you know, make my own opinion about what was out there, what connected to what, you know, what existed, what the problems they did and hear from the founders as well, right? And the senior people in those companies really about what they want to do. And the fact you, you know, you're talking about there about the fact that you're big on community. I think it's really important. That is what the business is. So I think it's lovely that, um, that the tech community are also doing that as well. So I think it's great, which actually leads me to my last question. What have you learned? I mean, how you've been with Urban Pipe for a while and you've, um, you're kind of you're traveling all, all over the world, I presume, and you're meeting lots of different restaurateurs. What kind of evergreen problems are you seeing uh, out there in the industry, and what and what have you learned, I suppose, about the industry since you've been around? Great question again, Chris. I I I, I can distill that down to I think two things that I see are common right now across um, different markets, different geographies, very different cultures. The first is um, staffing is a challenge um, for everyone. Um, this doesn't necessarily only pertain to the ability to find staff, but also once you found staff, training the staff, making sure that um, they know everything they need to do. And I think that problem is somewhat exacerbated by 
what has been somewhat of a two-sided coin. I think uh, the I think the amount of tech we now see in a grocery store, in a restaurant has proliferated. There's no doubt about that. There's so much more tech available. But I wonder sometimes if all of that tech and the fact that it's largely disconnected in most restaurants, if that's actually leading to more efficiency or less efficiency. I dare say it's probably leading to less efficiency the less connected it is. And it exacerbates the problem of staff training because restaurants, of course, are very eager to adopt tech, and they do. But I think we, we as, a, as, a, as a hospitality tech community, we need to do more and more innovative things to connect all of that tech together, to, to streamline workflows, to make it easier for staff to be trained, to make it easier for new staff, because we know that staff churn is high in hospitality. That's true around the world. Make it easy for new staff to learn how to operate all the different tools that they need to use to make sure that the business they're working for is successful. And, and I think we all have a role here to play, but these I see are commonalities right now everywhere, regardless of what the economic situation in a particular country is or any other, any other macroeconomic trends or macro social trends that are, that are affecting a certain market. This seems to be the case everywhere. Yeah, and, and it's, I'm interested because when I get to meet lovely people like you who are traveling, traveling all over the place, are, are, are the problems very similar? Because, you know, I think it's interesting for the UK to understand. I know, obviously, there's probably macro differences in terms of economy and whatever when you're traveling. But do you see generally the same problem? There are differences. Um, I think that the two problems I, you know, I spoke about right now, which is, is uh, the first having to do with staffing, the next having to do with um, the adoption of tech, but a lot of that tech being disconnected. I think both, both, are, both are common across markets. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then there are, there are a host of problems that, that are very market specific as well. That can vary, right? So if, if you look at the UK um, and, and um, the cost of doing business, and the fact that that cost of doing business has has risen sharply in a very short span of time, that's not necessarily true for some of the other markets we operate in in the Middle East. So that is unique to the UK. That that requires a unique set of solutions. Not all of those solutions are only going to come from Urban Piper necessarily, but but that's a unique problem. So I think there are there are definitely differences, and there should be because each market is different. Um, but there are also commonalities, which to me tells me that you know there's there's room for players like us and, and many of our partners who operate in multiple geographies to come together and think creatively about you. No, I think it's brilliant. And um, and how do we find you? Uh, if we if someone's been listening, maybe my friend in Cardiff is listening, <laughs> he wants to sign up. Uh, how, how do we find you? Where, where's the best place to go and find out about you guys? Great question. Look, um, our website is, is urbanpiper.com. Uh, um, that's a great place to find us. Um, I'm more than happy for anyone to send me an email directly, but we also have an email if you're interested in signing up or just learning more, our email address is sales.uk at urbanpiper.com. Please drop us a line anytime. My personal email is gaurav.malik, my name, uh, at urbanpiper.com. I'm more than happy to, to get an email from anyone in the industry. It could be a prospective partner, a prospective customer, someone that just wants to be connected with someone else. And I'm more than happy to help uh, wherever I can. I mean, that's, that's really what we're here to do. Is, is try and build community, help everyone out, and, and where possible, use our solution to help improve someone's business. I love that. I love that. I love it when people share their email. I hope you get, I hope you get lots of emails. <laughs> That's great. Well, Gaurav, thank you so much for your time. I understand that um, you have some small people about to invade your house, uh, like I do too. So enjoy the rest of your afternoon in India, uh, and I will uh, see you soon. Thank you so much, Chris. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Bye-bye.